electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the day after, with the big four now in the books. We debate what to do with the stocks right now. Apple, Amazon, Facebook all moving lower. The S&P now heading for its worst week since March. The Investment Committee, thankfully, is with me for the hour today to make sense of all of it. And joining me, Jim Labenthal, John Nigerian, Kerry Firestone is the CEO of RAS Asset Management. Degas Wright is the Chief Investment Officer of Decatur Capital Management and a new CNBC contributor. We're happy for that. Also with us today, Kate Moore, BlackRock's Head of Thematic Strategy for the Global Allocation Team. Take a look at stocks. Jim Labenthal. If you were looking for big big tech to come to the rescue today, uh, you're going to have to look somewhere else because that is your picture right now with the Nasdaq getting hit the (laughs) hardest, down more than 300 points, two and three quarters percent. Well, look, this is not what we wanted. I mean, people like me have been talking about the broadening of the rally, and you were getting that. But this week, you've had the downside, which we didn't want to see of tech giving up gains. And it's been the whole week, right? Microsoft had a bad reaction to earnings. Having said all that, I don't think at all that you're supposed to throw in the towel on these big tech names. I think that their valuations are, for the most part, very much defendable. Um, I think, in fact, that this market is trading at least as much, if not more, on the macroeconomic headlines of lack of fiscal stimulus and the virus surging as it is on the earnings numbers. Because, frankly, look, if you want to take, uh, you know, Apple, there's, there's a reason why they underperformed on iPhone sales. People are saving up for the iPhone 12. And Amazon, I mean, this is what they usually do, right? They, they have a quarter every now and then where they say, listen, we're going to spend a lot more than you expect, but it's an investment in the business. It's not a time to sell these tech stocks. I, I know, Scott, we've also talked about some of the high-flying software names. That's a different story. These are the bellwether tech names now that we're talking about, and they're attractively priced. Today's, today's movement doesn't throw me at all. All right, so, Kerry, don't throw in the towel is what Jim says. That's different from preparing for more losses. Do we need to do that? Do these stocks need to come in a lot more from where they are? And I'm talking about the big four. Well, it's a great question, Scott. And I would say the following. These are the growth engines of the economy right now. They're stocks that can survive and prosper during COVID. And it looks from the virus and the lack of stimulus, the fact that the reopening play is getting pushed back further, that in order to find pockets of strength in the economy and in the market, we may be back to the growth stocks and the tech and the digital platforms. So if they're down 15% from the peak, 20% from the peak, I think that's a reasonable place to think about a reentry. Apple was up to a 34 multiple at the beginning of September when they split. Now it's at 29. Well, actually, today it's less than that. Uh, when you get these stocks selling for roughly market multiples or slight premiums, I think you begin to see why they're attractive. And I believe that the market is probably going to come back to them. 
Well, Degas, where's the bottom in, in tech? I mean, is it is it close? There was a suggestion earlier this week that, you know, Microsoft wasn't going to find its bottom until tech bottomed. Well, now you've got all of these other names, except for Google today, selling off and selling off hard names that ran up into their prints quite substantially. Apple up 50 percent year to date. Amazon up 67 percent year to date. By the way, those numbers, Digus, are coming after the big slides that we're witnessing. Those numbers were well better yesterday going into the numbers. Yeah, you know, I'll go back to what Jim said earlier in that you can explain the, the pullback. And I think a lot of this is happening because people are just taking some chips off the table. And so I like these uh, companies still. The business case has not changed from last week. These companies are the starwoods of the uh, technology, and, it, and they're there for a reason. And so I don't think that this is a time to exit any of these names, and we're still holding all these names in our portfolio. John, the business case is the reason why these stocks got to where they were, right? We, we, we totally get it. There's, there's a reason why the stocks ran up as, as much as they did. I think you can ask, the, ask a question as to whether they ran up too much, whether the business case was really justifying some of the move we had in, in these stocks. Apple missed their, their iPhone revenues by a billion dollars. A billion dollars. Yep, and that, that, that's not an offering by them, of course. That was our collectively our estimate because they don't give guidance on that, Scott, which is one of the issues you know, with Apple when they stop doing that. Um, however, uh, when you see 40% of an installed base over a billion of these devices, and you see 40% of them have uh, devices that are three years or older, uh, that super cycle that many have called it is still out there and waiting for the iPhone 12 and 12 Pro. Uh, as Tim Cook said, though, uh, in the call, they have had trouble meeting the demand for those pre-orders for those phones, as well as Macs and all this other stuff. So I think you work through this, and I think you look at the numbers where Apple is now, Scott, and where it will be when they start fulfilling the, the demand that we know is out there. And the China issue, of course, as you uh, said, top of the show, I, I think it's not, a, uh, it's not them turning away from U.S. corporations over in China. It was the same thing that Degas just cited. It was people waiting to put that money into the newer products rather than buying a product that, you know, is over a year old or older. And I think that's just a normal course of business. Carrie, if you're waiting for an entry point to, to add more or to get in to any of these names, is it too soon? Uh, I, I think that you could start to buy uh, Google. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's up, but it way underperformed the other names. Uh, I think with Apple, which was the name we sold a third of at the beginning of September, maybe 5% below this level, which would be 10% from where it opened the day or, or, or closed yesterday. Sorry, I mean, it's in a bear um, market, right? Facebook, Apple, Apple, pardon me real quick. Yeah. I mean, Apple is in a bear market, right? 20% below yeah, no, it, no, its record high. Correct. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, I think 20 to 25% below from those levels. If you're, if you don't have a position, you can start to add one. And if you've got a half position, remember, these are big weights in the S&P. It's certainly huge weights in the NASDAQ. So, I, you know, I don't have a problem with adding. Uh, and they're all in the 20s multiples. We're not talking about, oh, Amazon is, is much, much higher, of course. Amazon is a different case. But Facebook, Google, Apple, 
Um, I, I think that they're not unreasonable. It, 5% below where they are right now, for sure. And, and remember, every day um, that we move into this current quarter is going to be better for Apple. I am sure that they're going to sell many more iPhones. It was a disappointment to the, um, to the investment community, but I, but I think they're going to make that up. And services were strong. Uh, the stores were partially open. They're going to be open at a, to a greater extent, particularly in China this quarter. Uh, and so I, you know, I think that you could have an overreaction on Apple, the largest of them by far. Yeah. All right, Kate Moore. Now I come to you. Heard everybody's opinion. I'm wondering what you what you think this means for the overall market. Um, tech was was such a, a strong leg. If you pull yeah. that out, yeah, the structure is still strong, but it gets weaker. Yeah. I mean, look. I think there are a couple major things at play. Jim mentioned a few of these things at the onset, that we have these other macro forces, you know, the concerns around the uptick in virus cases and perhaps rolling uh, shutdowns once again, you know, disappointment that we haven't gotten any sort of fiscal stimulus ahead of the election. And now in a lame duck session, it's looking increasingly unlikely. And, and then, you know, combined with the fact that you know, there's a lot of question around the sustainability of some of the earnings of these high flyers. But I think the bigger question here, Scott, is, you know, how positioned w was the broader investment community in these names uh, ahead of reporting? And, you know, the overall earnings season, despite really strong fundamentals, has been a little disappointing, frankly, in terms of price performance. But these macro factors have subsumed the good fundamentals. And I think in the case of these big tech names that are outstanding companies that have shown us that it can continue to grow revenues for the most part through a very difficult economic period, you know, they're just we're just seeing people kind of take some chips off the table. I don't think there's going to be a massive repricing. I heard what Carrie said in terms of, you know, do you enter in at a couple percentage points down? Perhaps. But if you're longer term investors and you get days like this, I think you should be chipping away. You know what? I mean, I've also had some people I mean, I, I saw a comment earlier about it on Twitter. A hedge fund manager uh, texted me earlier in the week, John, about, you know, What's also potentially bad for these big tech names is the prospect of a higher capital gains tax under a President Biden, and that that may be forcing some people to take some profits in the highest of high flyers to get ahead of that. You make you, yeah. you, you put any credence into that? Um, I do, Scott, but we all assign probabilities to both the presidential and the Senate races. Now, the Senate races are where you'd have to concentrate as far as uh, whether or not those races, if you believe in the blue wave there, right. then I think, yes, you would see those higher uh, tax rates and so forth, corporate as well as individual. Um, but uh, this is a known. I mean, J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs, among others, have said a blue wave would mean increased spending and increased taxes, and we think that's good for the stock market. That's their words, not mine. Uh, I happen to agree with that, however, Scott. And I think one of the issues here, though, is when you look at Europe and the, this second or the rebound from the first wave or whatever wave it is, Scott, going on in Europe right now, Germany is down 10.7% in a month. Our markets, as of an hour ago anyway, were down, S&P measured, 1% over that same period of time. Mm -hmm. So I think that this is COVID-related, not a change in what people think or what they thought President Biden and or the Senate would do. Again, assigning those probabilities. I think it's all about, Scott, 
the reaction to COVID overseas and that being to shut those economies <clears throat> down again, France and Germany, and then whether or not you see a President Biden more likely to do that over here, I think that's why you're seeing the reaction in the markets today. Let me do this. Let me ask everybody and show everybody. We have a six box up. Show of hands. Kate Moore, you don't have to vote here because you don't talk about individual names, so I totally get it. You're off the hook. Who thinks today is a good entry point for Apple today, where we are right now? Scott, can I take that? Yeah, go ahead, Jim. Because the, right? the reason is because you 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 caught me you caught me by surprise a minute ago. You said Apple's in a bear market, and I thought to myself, why isn't that making me freak out? And the answer is very simple: is because Apple, you know, much like the rest of these stocks, is up 48 percent year to date, even after today. And we're only back to where we were three months ago. So you know, Kate was saying something a second ago about people maybe just taking chips off the table. That could be all this is. This is one heck of a run, and I'm only talking about 2020. By the way, the other names, the lowest of the bunch is Google. It's up 22%. So I think that explains why I so quickly raised my hand. I couldn't see what everybody else was doing, but I think the reason there isn't this freakout going on is we're just back to where we were three months ago. Yeah, unless you think like Surratt does, who said it on the show the other day, that these stocks need to come down even more because of the way they ran up. All right, that's Apple. Show of hands again. Six box up, please. Kate Moore, you're excused once again. Who thinks today's a good entry point for Amazon? <laughs> wow, nobody. Nobody, John, thinks, thinks that. So how much more does the stock need to come down? I'm very surprised to see um, that. I was fully expecting uh, the majority of the hands to go up. Well, Scott, I mean, I was talking to Patty, uh, one of the producers, of course, to this great show. And I was saying to her, I'm cursing myself for missing Google. I didn't miss Amazon, but I missed Google and Alphabet, whatever you want to call it, uh, 150 points ago, Scott, but I'm not going to chase it. As far as Amazon, I'm happy with the position, but I'm overwriting aggressively with calls in that one right now, because I think in all likelihood, Jeff Bezos is likely to be a spender and continue to spend for at least a quarter, if not longer, to basically build out that company even bigger. And that is why I wouldn't add to it on this little bit of a dip that it's seeing. Interesting. All right, six box up. Facebook, who's buying that today? Would you recommend somebody watching the show buy it today? Carrie, tell me why. Well, Facebook is selling for in the 20s, 26 multiple, 25 multiple here today. And you're starting to see the, the re-engagement of advertisers into the marketplace. That's their major form of revenue, which disappeared for the first three months of the pandemic. It was one of the reasons why Alphabet was such a poor performer relative to some of the others. And Facebook reported that the numbers are starting to come back on the ad side. And, you know, I... I think we believe that we're going to see that continuation through the Christmas season, a lot of selling on the marketplace. And as you get into the, uh, you know, you're going to go through the quarter, uh, Amazon will see it too, but Amazon is selling for 75 times next year's earnings and Facebook is selling for 26 times next year's earnings. So I, I just think that relative attractiveness of, of where it's come from right now makes Facebook a more interesting play today. The, the cavalry is out big time today. Um, you got price target raises on Facebook. I don't know. I'm looking at at least 10 of them. Maybe the high, it's, it's hard to look at them on the fly so fast. 350 to me looks like the high 
for Facebook. You have as Alphabet today. You probably have 15 price target bumps, $2,000, $2,250 looks like the high on my list. Is Alphabet back? Who's buying Alphabet today? Who would recommend yes. to our viewers buy Alphabet today? I, I would. Degas, I think, uh, I Degas looks like a, he would, too. Degas, you tell yeah. me why. Yeah. Once again, going back to the whole uh, ad play as it relates to uh, Alphabet, I think this is a good entry point. You know, we look at different things relative to Alphabet, and one of the things we look at is the operating cash flow yield. And we still see Alphabet being very well at this level. You know, it's, it's between 9 and 10 relative to the operating cash flow yield. So what we see, what we really see, see in Alphabet is that second quarter was probably a little bit lower and, and, and missed expectations. As we get into this third quarter announcement, it actually exceeded. It was significantly over the earnings expectation, over on revenue. Mm -hmm. So this is a good entry point because this just continues the story about Alphabet. All right. Well, let's bring another voice into our conversation for more on the sell-off we're seeing today in big tech and elsewhere. Ed Yardeni, president of Yardeni Research. He joins us now on the phone. Welcome back, Ed. Thank you very much. What do you make of the action in the market? Well, to tell you the truth, I, I kind of welcome it. Uh, I would have been more concerned if the market had kept melting up. Uh, the market hit an all-time high back on September 2nd, and uh, I was kind of rooting for the market to move sideways for a while so that earnings had some uh, time to catch up, and I think that's exactly what's happening here. Now, the uh, correction since uh, September 2nd, uh, really started sep September 3rd, uh, I think could end November 3rd if, in fact, we know who the president is by the end of the evening uh, or a few days after, whenever, whenever we know. And uh, we're also going to know uh, who's got a majority in the House and the Senate. So I think some of this uh, started out as an overvaluation correction in the technology sector that's probably continuing through today. Uh, but a lot of it was also uh, uh, election jitters. And then, of course, the virus uh, wave has uh, picked up here. And, uh, Scott, you know, uh, Wall Street's been saying, and I've been sort of saying the same thing, that uh, uh, the market uh, is going to go up no matter who wins. Um, but maybe the market's starting to think that, you know, if Biden wins and um, uh, he, he raises taxes, all right, uh, he'll increase spend, spending, so it shouldn't be bad for the market. Uh, but uh, the, the real issue now for the market is how will either a Trump or a Biden respond to a pickup in this virus uh, pandemic, uh, depending on, you know, what the experts say. Maybe the biggest issue, though, right now for the market, though, is not the election. It's not that. It's not taxes. It's not spending. Right. It's tech. If big tech needs to come down more, isn't right. the market itself going to have a problem? I mean, you do have some like David Einhorn suggesting that tech is in an enormous bubble and September 2nd yeah. was the top. And it's already popped, and we're witnessing the way that some of these stocks are trading, Apple and others, and Apple's in a bear market, as we said. And some think it has further to go to the downside. What do you think? Well, I think they, they uh, obviously, with the benefit of hindsight, uh, they were expensive, and now they're less expensive. Uh, but uh, I think uh, we're still looking at zero interest rates for the foreseeable future. I mean, no matter what happens in Washington on November 3rd, uh, Jerome Powell's still going to be Fed chair, and interest rates are still going to be near zero. And even if we start to see the bond yield moving back up uh, over 1%, I think the Fed's going to come in and uh, peg the, uh, the, the bond yield. So I, I think it's going to be pretty hard for anybody to really be out of the market for very long or at least not jump at opportunities. And I, I view this more as an opportunity than a, a reason to panic. And I don't, I don't agree that this is a bubble. Uh, technology's uh, got a great future uh, uh, over the rest of the decade. Kate Moore, that's interesting what, what Ed said. It's kind of look past everything and don't forget what got you here, right? 
Don't leave your dance partner. Right. Don't leave your dance partner, Kate Moore, on the sidelines. It's the Fed. It's going to be a Fed. No, the, the, the music's not stopping anytime soon. To borrow that that uh, saying from, I think it was Chuck Prince. Yeah, but that was a day. curse. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, Kate Moore. Scott, I'm I'm more than happy to dance with the with the Fed on this one, and I really agree with what Ed just said in terms of you know, allowing the liquidity and rates backdrop to really underpin your thoughts around asset allocation and taking risk and equities. You know, I wanted to jump into the conversation, and of course, I'm not able to talk about individual names, but I wanted to talk about uh, what's happening in the rest of the tech sector right now. So certainly those big FANG earnings had an impact uh, on the overall market, but you're still seeing some sell-off in some of the other high-flying tech themes, you know, around cloud and cyber and 5G and AI. And so I think this is really uh, kind of about broad-based de-risking, what I've been talking about and what thanks, Jim, for backing me up on that, and not so much about people being very fearful about the overall sector. So look, I'm a buyer at this point, and especially if the market softens a little further, I think these kind of high conviction, long duration trades, you know, are offering us some interesting entry points ahead of the election. I would continue to average in, and I agree very much with Ed, that we are going to be up or up in a few months' time, regardless of the election outcome. Just a matter of how much we are up, Ed. Well, I've got 3,800 by the middle of next year and 3,500 by the end of this year, so that's... That's my point estimates. Yeah. Jim Labenthal, you want to get in? Then Carrie. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I'm in line with what we're talking about here. I think it, this is a point in time we knew coming up to next week that things were going to get rocky. And we also felt, or at least I believe, that if you look out three, six months, you're going to have progress on a vaccine. Look, two months from now, you're likely to sit a president that is duly elected. And whatever, whatever volatility there is around that next week will have been worked out. We're likely to get fiscal stimulus in some form before the end of the, end of the year. I think what's been going on right now is naked politics. So if you start to believe these positives can occur then you don't want to give up, you know, you don't want to throw in the towel right now and start running for the hills. It's absolutely the worst thing to do. Yeah. Um, Carrie, you know, the other interesting thing is that people like Peter Bookbar today are talking about, and he highlights it, it seems that now, in all caps, valuations do matter, where it seemed like they didn't matter for a long period of time. You got multiple expansions, like the big four, other than Amazon, which is 100, the you know, 30 whatever times earnings, well above their historical averages, no big deal because we pulled everything forward. Tech is where it's at, the virus is raging. We know why the stocks are up. We found every excuse in the book to justify the moves. He says, but now you got your, your, your comeuppance on this valuation question. Uh, well, I. I think Peter is great, but I would say that over the course of this pandemic, he's not been a big owner of the tech names that have moved the market. And if you think about where we are today, even with this decline in the NASDAQ, we're 4% off the peak prior to COVID. All right, so we're 9% below the peak on September 2nd, and we're 4% below the peak before COVID. So the market dropped 34%, and it came back because a big swatch of the economy was able to produce revenues and earnings despite the virus and the shutdown. And that is going to continue for longer than people had expected. I don't think it's an excuse. I don't think you just 
brush off the fact that these businesses, and it's not just Amazon, Apple, Zoom, and Peloton, it's names like Sherwin-Williams or Twilio, Thermo Fisher, S&P Global, they just reported much better numbers than expected for the last quarter. And these companies are continued to produce. We're going to continue to see the market move in their direction. They're not selling for 70 times earnings. They're selling for 20 plus earnings. Well, Twilio is obviously. But I think there's a distinction between business models that we have seen that can survive and do fantastically well in any environment and those that are just priced up 300 times right, earnings, right. infinite times earnings because they can, you know, they're good, you know, remote working, living types of businesses. There's a difference. And I, I, I think that there's uh, an argument on both sides, but I can still find plenty of stocks to own. Kate Moore. Yeah, I agree with Carrie on a lot of this. And look, um, I think people like to get back to this traditional valuation or valuation relative to historic average or median, you know, but valuations don't mean revert. And that's just the truth. And then over shorter time periods, your starting valuation has very little predictive um, you know, power in terms of your future returns. Most of us don't hold for seven to 10 years. It's a, a few years at best, and sometimes it's even shorter. But I just want to underscore this. When people talk about the equity market being expensive, you know, they're failing to consider that most of us have a full suite of assets that we can invest in. And the bond market is more expensive and other assets are more expensive than equities. So on the cross section, equities look good. And then I would also note, we also have a lot more information coming at us today than we ever have before. We're pricing risk differently. We are all using alternative data and third party vendors to kind of validate a business model. And so against that backdrop, I think we can have more confidence in future earnings. We should be allowing the market to re-rate, particularly as Carrie mentioned, those stocks that are producing earnings and revenue growth in a tougher economic cycle. All right. Um, it's good to have you on the show today, Kate. We'll see you soon. Ed Yardeni, thank you so much for calling in. I know we're going to be talking to you a lot in the days ahead. Uh, I'll look forward to that as well. It is the final trading day of the month of October. Dom Chu with us today looking at the month's biggest leaders and, of course, the laggards, Dom. And we're going to try to encapsulate many of the themes that you guys have been talking about for the show in this first part of the segment here and put some numbers and charts behind it. First of all, if you take a look at the S&P 500, over the course of this month-to-date period, we are now down by about 3%, so not exactly a great month overall for stocks, and you have seen that kind of more precipitous move in just the last week or so here. If you take a look at the sectors that have been outperforming overall, you take a look at the thematic elements at play for utilities, more defensive, up about 6%. Meanwhile, communication services, believe it or not, has outperformed, even though it's down just very marginally here. And material stocks down by about 1%, still an outperformer against the S&P, which is down nearly 3%. As for the laggards that have happened so far, we talk about the COVID trade, demand destruction. Does it affect energy prices? Well, that's the reason why energy stocks are down almost 6% here. And meanwhile, technology stocks, big tech taking that huge hammering, especially in September, down 5%. Healthcare down about 4% there overall. One place to look at that has slightly outperformed is financials. But the people that have better performed within financials, the banks, those are doing really well. Take a look at the bank ETF, KBE and KRE, both up about between 12 and 14% at this stage. A nice move higher just in the month of October. It may play out a little bit more if Scott Gang we start to see that yield curve, the difference between short and long-term rates continue to kind of steepen out. Watch those financial stocks. They could be due for at least a bit of a move higher. Back yeah, over but I was going to say, it's because, you know, rates were, move, were moving higher in, in the month. 
now, you know, with the virus and other things going on, you, you just don't know. Dom, thank you very much. That's Dom Chu for us uh, with that actionable information. Up next, we have more for you. We have trades on Twitter and Starbucks, a lot more, plus our investment committee's latest buys and sells. A reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Sue Herrera. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. Kennedy family cousin Michael Skakel will not face a second trial in the 1975 murder of teenager Martha Moxley. At a hearing today, Connecticut's chief state attorney said the case could not be proven beyond a reasonable doubt. In Turkey, rescue teams are pulling survivors from the wreckage of several buildings that collapsed in today's earthquake. In Greece, two teenagers are the first reported deaths from the quake that was centered in the Mediterranean between Turkey and Greece. In Italy, COVID-19 cases continue to fill the nation's hospitals. Officials confirming more than 31,000 more infections today. That's a new all-time high and more than 15 percent above yesterday's record level. And a bit of good news from Peru. This premature baby has survived COVID-19. Baby Jorjito spent the first four weeks of his life under round-the-clock care. He is now four and a half months old, and he's just getting to leave the hospital. A little bit of good news to leave you on. Scott, I'll send it back to you. And we appreciate you, Sue. Thank you, Sue Herrera. Have a good weekend. You too. Several earnings reports are out today. Let's start with Twitter. Uh, John DeJerry, and I'll talk to you about this one first. You, you previously owned calls. I don't think anybody else owns it. Um, the stock's getting destroyed yeah. today, right? Uh, DAUs, daily active users yep. were a miss. The stock had a good run into the number, right? Get that. It's up, you know, even with the decline, it's up a lot. What do you do with this now? Yeah. I, I, well, I think, Scott, if, if you're looking for, again, a blue wave and or a President Biden, Trump has brought so many people into this universe of Twitter that if he's gone, and I, I don't think he'll ever really be gone, Scott, but if he was he's not, not going to, no matter what, Twitter, the phone, he's not going to put the phone down, Doc. Come on. Come on. Uh, he's probably not putting no. the phone down, but. I don't think if you're not president, then you're just somebody out there, you know, just tilting at windmills. I don't think that they have a shot at getting back to these numbers ever if he indeed is out of office. If really? You think, in, it, you think okay. it's that binary? It, that's, that's, that's interesting. Absolutely. I mean, I think he has done so much for Jack Dorsey, even though they hate each other. I think he's done so much for that company, Scott, by that being must-watch on that vehicle to, you know, to pass a, around his information that he wants to share with us. Um, if he's not there anymore, I don't know what Twitter does. Uh, Kim Kardashian, Kanye, none of them can compare to the drive that this guy brings to Twitter. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'll, I'll take the other side. I don't think, uh, I don't think the tweets oh, are going away. Okay. I just, I'm just saying I don't think the tweets are going away regardless. <laughs> Regardless no, of maybe. what happens, I mean, if you're tweeting, I think he'll tweet. It, it, I just don't think it'll be. Yeah, maybe. I mean, if you're tweeting at three o'clock in the morning, a driver. 
I don't think, you know, I don't think you're <laughs> going to give up the habit, as they say. All right, let's talk Starbucks. Uh, beat China yeah. comps missed slightly, though. <laughs> Forecast was mixed. Stock wasn't doing all that much. When I saw it earlier, it was down uh, slightly. Doc, you own it. So do you, Jim. Talk to me, Jim. Yeah, look, I think this is a great long-term hold. I'm not worried about what the third quarter was, as long as the trajectory still continues to improve. China comps, I believe, were down 3%. That's not much at all. They've got 99% of their stores open there. We know that China's handling this virus very well, and its economy is getting better by the day. So I like that. And look, what I said a minute ago about the economy overall very much applies in the specific here of, look, you're going to get a vaccine at some point in time. You look out three, six, nine months, Starbucks is going to have a, a heck of a lot of its uh, stores open that are closed now in the U.S. So I, I see things continuing to improve there. John, talk to me about Under Armour. That's up sharply today and maybe a little bit yeah. of a turn, right? Revenue estimate, pretty well, good. Or guidance. Mm-hmm. It, I, or it was, Scott. It, the, the stock traded all the way up to 1515 or something like that. Oh, well, that's, I didn't, you know what? And then mm-hmm. huh, I didn't even realize, John, then that it, it had turned negative. down hard. Hmm. Yeah, then it broke down yeah. hard. Now, when we talked about it for unusual activity, we said people were betting on the downside and the number came out and I said, oh, my gosh, here's another one that's not going to work out. Now, with the stock breaking down from 15 and breaking yesterday's uh, holding number, uh, I don't know where it goes from here, Scott, how much lower this one will sink. But you were right. Early on, it was a big winner. And then that vanished like that. Yeah, it sure did. It's because I looked. I haven't looked at it in a couple of hours. I just assumed that it was still up. Uh, thank you for bringing that to us. Mm-hmm. Speaking of bringing something to us, John's got unusual activity. It's straight ahead. And as we go to break, take a look at the S&P sector heat map today on what is a down day for stocks. We don't have that, but we'll try and get that for you before we're done today. We're back in What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started minutes. All right, let's do unusual. John, start me out with Neo. All right, Neo, Scott, uh, you know, we've had a number of these either EVs, whether they're vehicles or whether they're things in warehouses and so forth. Neo, of course, is a pretty successful one. LI is another one. We've seen unusual activity in both. And in Neo, I thought it was really interesting, Scott, because they have the 37 calls changing hands with the stock at 31. So that's a pretty big upside just in the next three weeks. 
They bought those calls um, with the stock at $30.80, Scott. I joined them. I'll probably be in these calls two to three weeks because of that upside potential that these guys have shown. Second one, Team, T-E-A-M. Uh, this one, we've seen big upside call buying also in November at the 197.50 strike with the stock basically falling after earnings today down to 191. People started loading back up, and I'm looking for a lot of upside out of this one, Scott. I'll be in these also about two weeks. Yeah, interesting um, activity in uh, two stocks that are getting hit pretty well today. Doc, thank you. Up next, our investment committee members making plenty of big moves in this sell-off. I'll tell you about those next. I told you the investment committee was making moves. Kerry, we start with you. Phillips, 66. You're gone. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, it has been a really horrible sector, and PSX has been a terrible stock. We sold it about 10% higher than it is now, but that's no excuse. I mean, it's been drifting down for ages. So now we have no energy. It was our, large, it was our smallest. It was our smallest holding. It was our largest uh, energy stock, but it was the only one we owned. Um, we replaced it more or less with Vontier, VNT. Uh, it's an industrial, it's a spin out uh, from Danaher and Fortive. It does fuel management systems. It has a big position in emerging technologies for electric cars and fueling stations. Uh, people are driving a lot. The stock sells for 12 times earnings. And we think with the free cash flow and the low multiple that this will definitely be um, a good stock over the next 12 to 18 months. Jim Labenthal, I just go to you on this to, just to get a comment. Are, are you still in Marathon? I am still in Marathon. And look, what, what Kerry said about the industry is unfortunately correct. Marathon has a special situation, and the only reason I'm in it is they're selling the Speedway gas station line for $21 billion cash, closing uh, first quarter of next year, and their market cap is $19 billion. So I put those two together. I'm going to stick with Marathon Petroleum, but what Kerry said about the industry is spot on. I'll stay with you uh, before I move to Degas. Speaking of what you're no longer in, you're completely out of Intel now. Yep, started it last Friday. We talked about it after the earnings report. I, I, don't, I don't think any need to relitigate that. But what I've moved into, and I'm fully out of Intel now, is NXP se Semiconductor. Um, a few reasons for this. One, their end markets are going really well. That's automotive and Internet of Things. So when I see 10% growth ahead for this, I think the fundamentals in those two markets certainly justify it. But it's also about a 36, 37 billion market cap company in an industry that's rapidly consolidating. Uh, so I think this could be takeover bait uh, in the next year or so as well. All right. Good stuff for that. Uh, Degas, you sold Fiserv. You purchased Westrock. Talk to me. Yeah. So, so the reason for selling of Fiserv is that, one, it's in a very competitive market in that core banking um, uh, program. So that was very uh, something we started to look at. And then also we started looking at the debt load and we weren't really satisfied with the debt load. They're carrying about debt to total capital about 0.39, which is actually higher than industry. And lastly, they've been doing a lot of acquisitions. And so we thought that that would distract management. We purchased West, West Rock. One of the things we, we're starting to look at are the longer term plays. And those longer term plays, if we all think about it, we've been doing a lot of delivery, food delivery, and pickup. If you think about that box, that container, that's a recyclable container. West Rock is a global leader in producing those uh, packaging. And so at a $10 billion market capitalization, 
Jim mentioned something earlier. Could this be a takeover target? Yeah, interesting. We'll see. Thank you for that. All right, Ask Halftime's coming up. Send your questions in. You can do it by video. We'll play them on the air. Email us at askhalftime at cnbc.com. We're back in just two minutes. It's time for the futures outlook. Gold moving higher today as another sell-off sweeps the stock market. Let's bring in Scott Nations and Brian Stutland for a look at where they think it will go. Gentlemen, it's good to see you. Scott Nations, you first. It hasn't traded all that well lately. No, it's down about 3%. From the high it made on October 12th. And, and Scott, I get a lot of questions. Why is it down at all? And why is it below 1900, given all the uncertainty we have an election in a few days? But if you look at the fundamentals, you have to look at the dollar. Dollar's up about 9% since that October 12th high in gold. And the 10 year yield is up six basis points, or about 9% uh, since October 12th. So while gold is down about 3% from that high, it's actually a really muted response. And why is that? It's because there's lots of hedging from, from gold longs. Uh, they're hedging the election. They also remember, Scott, the 50-point rally we had on Election Day four years ago. Yeah. Brian Stutland, what do you think? Well, I think to some of the technicals, when you look at that, as the dollar has strengthened, as interest rates have ticked up a little bit, Gold broke down below that 1900 level, ticked below 1880. So we really broke this sideways channel that it was forming as we kind of hoped for a stimulus package. That sent gold lower. I think the price objective now for gold to the downside, very short term, is probably about 1820. Today we're getting a rally, maybe back up to that trend line, maybe retest 1900. But I think momentum is to the downside. That's the short term. I think longer term, I'm still allocating to gold in some of my models. If, as an overlay, I'd rather own bonds in terms of gold instead of U.S. dollars. Because I think longer term trend, we're going to need to print our way out of this unless something turns around very quickly in the stock market here. So as a hedge to things, I like gold longer term. Short term, looks like the downtrend is to the downside, 1820. All right. Good stuff, guys. Thanks. Good weekend. We'll talk to you soon. Ask Halftime. It's coming up next. All right, let's do it. Let's answer your questions. First one is a video question for Farmer Jim. Hi, it's Dr. John Perlman from Beverly Hills, California. I'd like the expert's opinion on the future for Viacom CBS stock. Any chance that the library will become more profitable or that their Paramount Plus streaming service will uh, raise the stock price? Thank you so much for your opinion. I appreciate it. Have a good day. Doctor, thank you for the question. Farmer? Hey, we got a question from Dr. John. I'll take that any day. Um, Look, Viacom is one of my core (laughs) holdings, and the reason is because of what the question asked. It's about the streaming business. It's very much underappreciated. Last quarter, the numbers were much better than expected. They're going to report numbers, I believe it's Thursday of next week. In particular, look at Pluto TV. That thing's growing like a a wildfire, and that's where they're going to get growth in the rest of their streaming services. So keep an eye on the streaming businesses. I'm a believer. All right. Dr. J. Dillon, St. Louis, Missouri. I want to sell covered calls on FCX, Freeport MacMoran. Should I initiate a position now or wait to buy 100 shares? What do you think? I I think you buy it now. Uh, Luckily, Scott, I got this one in July. Then I got out of it at 15, and it's since gone higher. It's a story much like that uh, Google trade I talked about. Uh, I just didn't get back in. Infrastructure is going to be big next year, no matter which way the election goes. I'd buy this, and I think a covered right is a great way to play it long term. Okay. Carrie, to you, Robert in Minneapolis. K-Web, is it still the way to play the anti-PO in U.S. markets? 
Uh, so, Rob, uh, Ant isn't public yet. The way we play it is by owning Alibaba. Baba owns 33% Ant Financial. It will be one of the biggest IPOs ever in history. And we think that's a more direct way than playing it through the Chinese ETF. Good stuff. Thank you. Degas, last to you. Shane, Pennsylvania, which stock do you like better, Oof, Exxon or Chevron? So let's go with Exxon, a little bit better on the valuation of profitability. <laughs> it's a hard pick right now. Everybody, thanks for the questions. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll do final trades next. Let's give you a final check uh, on the markets. It's a tough day, as you can see, for stocks. It's going to be the worst day for the S&P in several months. It's just a matter of whether it's March or June, depending on how the last few hours shake out. The Nasdaq is obviously the big story today, down two and a half percent. That's on the heels of the big four and the earnings there. Google really the only one getting any sort of traction the day after. That stock is having a nice session. It's up better than four percent. The others, Apple, Amazon, Facebook, all at least with five percent slides. Something to keep an eye on for the rest of this day as we head into pivotal week next week, obviously, with the election looming. All right, let's do final trades. Carrie, you start us off first. Thank you. I have Booz Allen Hamilton, BAH. They reported earnings today. They were up 27 percent, organic growth 11 percent. They're defense contractor, government contract. They do health care. They do all sorts of planning and administration that can work in a remote environment, which seems to have helped their business. Uh, cash flow is fantastic. Uh, we think that this is a stock that will gain traction regardless of the outcome of the election. Yeah. Bucking the trend today. Having a nice day at, at that. Thank you for that, Carrie. Digus. IDEX Labs, yesterday it reported beat uh, earnings 19%, beat revenue uh, 8%, and we also like it because it does healthcare, uh, pet care healthcare for very innovative, and so we really like it at these levels. All right, good stuff. Good to see you as well. Dr. J? Um, Scott, I like Apollo here. Uh, the stock has sold off by over $20 from the October high. That seems like a lot. And they still do a lot of great work with sovereign wealth and endowments. And I think this is one to buy here at 36 and change. Got a name for me quick, Pharma Jim? Caterpillar Tractor. <laughs> Big shock. Thanks, everybody. The exchange is now with John Fort. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash.